0: You're listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast.
1: Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to a new episode of the Today in Manufacturing podcast. With me this week are Jeff Ranke and Anna Wells. We each have more than 15 years' experience covering the manufacturing industry. Every week, we take the five most popular stories on our websites and discuss the implications they have on the industry going forward. Before we get started, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use. And if you want to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, David, or Anna at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. We're also live every Thursday at 1.30, so make sure to subscribe to us on on YouTube at IEN Magazine to get a notification and you can join us live. Anna, how are you doing this week?
0: Good. It feels good to really be live at uh, 1.30 on a Thursday.
1: Yeah. I mean, close anyways. We hit that
0: target <laughs> sparingly, but today we did.
1: Yeah. Jeff, how are you doing this week? Awesome, man. Very good. Well, before we get started with our first story this week, we have a word from our sponsor. If you aren't creating video content for your business, you're missing out. Why is video so important? Increase conversions. Increase email marketing click-through rates. Improve SEO. Build trust, help explain complex subjects and equipment, and improve social media engagement. How many of you view video content on a daily basis? Isn't it time people start viewing some of yours? Promote your brand with Unit 202. Let's get to work. All right, and uh, we're back. And before we get started with our first story, just a reminder that Unit 202 does professional video production for the manufacturing industry. All right, our first story this week. The best places to work in manufacturing in 2022. Smart Asset recently unveiled its seventh study on the best places to work in manufacturing. The company wanted to highlight the areas of the country that have been and continue to be strongholds for manufacturing. They analyzed about 400 metro areas, looking at manufacturing employment as a percentage of the total workforce, income growth, job growth, and cost of living. So let's get into the top 10. At 10, Kankakee, Illinois. About 16%, pretty sure I nailed that name too. Uh, Kankakee? Kankakee? Kankakee. Yeah, it's Midwestern. It's Kankakee. About 16% of the workforce in Kankakee works in manufacturing, and average income has gone up by more than 30%. Apologies to anyone that lives in Kankakee. Let me know that what is how you're It's definitely Kankakee. Kankakee? Definitely. It's
0: not Kankakee? It's definitely? No, definitely. Okay. Okay. All
1: right. Jeff's betting a lunch on it. Santa Rosa, California came in at nine. Santa Rosa is the only California metro area to rank in the top 10, mostly because of income growth. Number eight is Mankato, Minnesota. The metro area has been, had the lowest unemployment rate at 1.7% and more than 16% of the workers are in manufacturing. Sioux City, Iowa, their metro area, and at number seven, uh, workers in manufacturing make up 23.48% of the total workforce. More than a <clears throat> over a three-year time period, beginning in 2017, the industry has seen an increase of 21% workers. Number six, Cleveland, Tennessee. More than one in five workers in Cleveland, Tennessee area works in manufacturing and housing costs account for less than 19% of their income. Number five is Staunton, Waynesboro, Virginia. From 2017 to 2020, income increased by 17% and manufacturing workers typically pay 13% of their income towards Housing costs. Number four, Logan, Utah. More than 26% of workers in the Logan, Utah metro area are in manufacturing. That is the 12th most in the United States. Number three, Jefferson City, Missouri. About 14% of the population works in manufacturing and income has increased by nearly 20%. Decatur, Alabama. Uh, is number two with more than 25 percent of the workforce in manufacturing. The unemployment rate is at 2.4 percent, but income income growth has lagged. Finally, the top spot, number one, Ames, Iowa. Ames, Iowa is the best place to work in manufacturing in 2022 because of significant growth in both manufacturing employment and income over a one-year period, both north of about 13 percent. About 17 percent of the workforce is in manufacturing, and the city has a low unemployment rate of 2.4%. Jeff, your thoughts on this list in general and Ames taking the top spot.
2: Yeah, I mean, a lot of it was caught out in the article, so it was kind of interesting to see some of the geographic trends. Half of the list is in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. I was a little surprised that there wasn't a higher concentration in the southeastern part of the country, just Mm -hmm. because we have seen so much going on down there, Mm -hmm. especially in automotive Textiles has made a little bit of a comeback. A lot of the reshoring initiatives that we've seen in the headlines have really focused on that part of the country. And then we've also seen a lot going on in Texas with like, especially the Austin area and even in the Southwest. So I was a little bit surprised to see a more heavy concentration in the Midwest, but there is also a little bit of caveat with the data in that effect fact that it's 2019, 2020. Right. So it'll be interesting to see as this data evolves more. And we wouldn't expect them to have all of that yet. It's still kind of a developing story. Yeah. Um, but those are the biggest takeaways. I think it will be interesting, especially in my mind. I think Texas would be one to keep an eye on in terms of the impacts of manufacturing there and the, oh, the positive impacts of manufacturing in that area with Texas um, a lot of the EV companies, the battery companies are looking in that jaunt, that area. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this develops with time. But um, yeah, the Midwest, sort of a stalwart for manufacturing, mm-hmm. um, still at the top.
1: Yeah, not a lot of surprises. I was surprised to see any city in California make the list, yeah, to be honest, yeah. um, just on cost of living alone. Um, Anna, what did you think of the uh, list? And do you think that a list like this is powerful enough for somebody either looking to get into manufacturing or people looking to move or create a manufacturing business, maybe take into consideration when they're scouting locations?
0: Um, Not really. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought that it was a fun exercise. And honestly, I appreciate the data. Um I, I did agree with Jeff in the sense that I think that it's really hard to look at this list in the context of today when you consider the data that they were using, which was 2019, 2020. And the preamble, which I don't think you mentioned this, the author talks about how manufacturing industries are shrinking in about half of the metro areas that they compared. Mm -hmm. This is comparing declines from 2019 to 2020 uh, versus the year prior. So I don't know if that's necessarily fair when you look at the declines that came with the COVID-19 recession. Um, Secondly, if you look at the job gains in the manufacturing that we've seen in the last two years, um, that's really something to be proud of. Uh, The department of labor said in its most recent report that manufacturing employment is now well above its pre-pandemic level. 200,000 jobs or more have been added in manufacturing every single month since January of 2021. Um, So my point here is there's there's a lot going on in manufacturing as a whole. Um, I think the list is a a great one to look at if you want to know maybe how far your money goes. But unfortunately, I just don't think there's a lot of like blank slate people out there that are looking at a map of the U.S. and thinking, I can mm-hmm. go anywhere. Yeah. Um, I just don't think that's realistic. Um, You know, maybe it's maybe it's providing insights to businesses. But again, um, you know, they have to take this with a grain of salt because it may not be accurate now. I mean, um, looking at wage rates, considering the big changes that have happened in 2021 and 2022, I don't know that any of these wage rates are going to be accurate, nor are the housing costs.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I look forward to seeing because I do, I mean, depending on how things continue uh, to work out, I'm interested to see what these numbers look like, uh, 21 and 22, because if in some of these areas, income increased by 23%, 25%, 26%, yeah, I mean, it's going to be 50, 60% um, for 21, 22.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it could be a completely different list.
1: Um, well, and that's uh, a point I wanted to bring up is that looking at this historically year over year, it looks like there are... Big shakeups almost every year. Only Sioux City and Cleveland, Tennessee were on the list last year. Wausau, Wisconsin was actually in the top spot, but didn't even make the list this year. Um, given the criteria, there is typically a lot of movement mm-hmm. year over year. For me, the biggest one is cost of living. Um, because I found that, like, uh, especially in the current situation that we're at, um, when you look at how much of your wage, wage is going into just simply cost of living, right. that really can attract or detract a lot of people. I know a lot of people that have been offered jobs in areas like in uh, California, and they just didn't take it specifically on, yeah, they'll double their wage, but they'll still be making less. So uh, I really like to look at cost of living in these manufacturing towns. Um, The other thing that was interesting, and Jeff, you kind of mentioned it is that there were no uh, companies listed in the Northeast. Uh, I think it was... uh, New London, Connecticut was the highest ranking in the Northeast and they only made 16. Um, But again, I like when these types of lists come out every year. And like you said, almost as a thought exercise Mm -hmm. uh, to kind of get, you know, it's good to have any data on the industry. And I think that it's interesting to look at how things are different throughout the country. All right. Our next most popular story, bakery manufacturing facility worker locked in freezer overnight. Last Thursday, co-workers found a 33-year-old man dead in a walk-in freezer at Bagels Bakery, a Brooklyn bakery manufacturing facility. Investigators say Mohamedou D'Ansogo appeared to have been accidentally locked in the freezer overnight. The worker is believed to have walked into the freezer around 3 a.m. and he was found around 8.45 in the morning. A manager said the company is cooperating with the investigation. The company, Bagels Bakery, was founded in Poland in 1934 and began operations in the U.S. in 1949. Jeff, your thoughts, and I believe a little bit more information has come out since we first covered this story about how everything happened.
2: Yeah, it looks like they've... they've Discovered that the individual was actually trapped within a piece of equipment that mm-hmm. was within the freezer. So, because one of the first things that I was thinking about is how does he get trapped in there? Mm-hmm. There's OSHA regulations requiring these types of um, walk in coolers and freezers to have the ability to get out from within inside. Yeah. Okay. So you should be able to get out. Um, but yeah, but he was trapped in a piece of equipment that he was trying to clean. Where that immediately goes for me as it was probably either some sort of conveying equipment, material handling equipment or packaging equipment mm-hmm. that he was charged with cleaning. And I think the other thing that this brings to mind is you're looking at a company that on the surface has a pretty sa- straightforward or simple product offering. You're looking at bagels and donuts and cakes and desserts. Yeah. There's always the opportunity for, bad things to happen, even in in an environment that you wouldn't necessarily associate with having a lot of dangers. It's not like you're dealing with chemicals or a ton of automation, but still when you look at the cold, just of the freezer, the fact that when that door closes, if there is some sort of struggle to get out, you're going to run out of oxygen Mm -hmm. at some point in time. Mm -hmm. And then obviously if he was in there by himself and the piece of equipment either malfunctioned or he got caught in it, there's all these different safety considerations. The one thing that I hope we can take away from this as is the case with a lot of these sort of safety related stories is that old quote, you know, life is a tar- life is a tough teacher. It gives you the test first and the lesson later. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully this is a situation where we can learn from this lesson and now let this happen again.
1: Well, that was uh, one of the things that I took away was that it seemed like a short window for just the cold to be the uh, primary factor. Like you said, he did get caught in a piece of mach- machinery and he actually died of blunt force injuries to the head, torso and extremities in this freak mishap. Um, and uh, another thing that I noticed is that he was a fairly uh, re- a new worker. He had only been there five months and it's just another opportunity to really reinforce training you know, four new employees and really express the dangers of the equipment they're working on.
0: Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. this is a horrible tragedy. And as you said, this individual had been working at this bakery for about five months. He um, had moved to America not very long ago. He was a father of five kids. I mean, mm-hmm. just like nothing more sad than this situation that you can even think of. Um, You know, I didn't know a lot about walk-in freezer safety before I was really looking into this, but I did find a sort of exhaustive list of best practices as it relates to safety. And a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, just making sure that there's no slip hazards in a walk-in area um, because who knows that could have been a factor in this safety incident that occurred with the machinery, they, uh, there's some speculation that it may have, the machinery may have turned on by accident.
1: Oh, okay. Um, so, so obviously, like a lockout, takeout deal. Right, lockout, yeah.
0: takeout deal. Um, there's a lot of tips uh, that I found online um, about practicing the buddy system when using a walk-in cooler or freezer, um, checking it at shift ch- change, um, making sure that the people that are working there with you know that you're there. Mm-hmm um i think in this case it's happened at three o'clock in the morning it sounded like maybe he was the only person there um or clearly if they didn't find him for another five six hours um nobody knew he was in there right right so um you know some of those some of those tips i think can save people's lives pretty easily there you know there's another point that was made about you know if you were to get locked inside um Mm -hmm. and you couldn't get out uh there are safety release handles. Those should be being checked regularly. Uh, they recommend that you keep a fireman's axe inside just in case you can't get out of there. Um, these are things that I don't know that everyone is is doing, especially if you're not like a full-scale food manufacturer. And maybe you just have one of these and you're more of like a um, – because it sounds like this is also like sort of retail-facing, right? Yeah, so, yeah, um So, unfortunately uh, – you know some of these things i think uh are if if they're in place um you know they can fix this problem and and if they're not then good luck to you so um yeah just really sad situation and and you wish that maybe if if a buddy system type type uh thing were in place um this would have turned out differently but
1: yeah the part about the family and how he had recently immigrated from mali i believe mm-hmm. yep. um to you know support his family back home uh just really difficult situation, trying to also communicate that uh, with the family overseas in a different language. Um, he was caught in turning blades of some of the machinery, and that's what caused the injuries. But uh, we, um, one thing that this story made me think of is that we run these safety stories, and just from us running them, it's made me realize how frequently... I can recognize an unsafe scenario, whether it's like you're just watching something on TV, you're visiting an actual facility and you're just like, that is not how that is supposed to be done. It's uh, it's like partially ruined, like, uh, or not ruined, but I just, you just have a different lens as you're watching some of this stuff. Um, and uh, I don't know, I think covering stuff like this on an ongoing basis is, you know, hopefully helping people improve safety at their facilities. All right, our next most popular story Hyperloop prototype turned into parking lot. So, this is a situation where the segment was filmed and then the Boring Company gave an update the next day, but more of that in a minute. It seemed like the SpaceX Hyperloop was done for, and it likely is. The prototype tunnel was torn down and turned into a parking lot for SpaceX employees. The one-mile-long track was built In Hawthorne, California, in 2016, and even hosted some student competitions for Hyperloop pod prototypes. CEO Elon Musk insisted that his company's Hyperloop was will become a functional travel option for people. But the Boring Company, which was all set to build a working Hyperloop, has been more focused on just regular Loop, an all-electric, zero emissions underground public transportation system. The company calls Teslas in tunnels. Earlier this year, the Boring Company reportedly raised an additional $675 million to accelerate hiring and scale projects. So, Anna, this direct response that Boeing seemed to post uh, the next day after the Bloomberg, Bloomberg article, did you get a chance to check that out?
0: Um, it's my understanding that they uh, said that they are planning to in- take on some kind of full-scale testing Yes. Right now, yeah?
1: Right, yes. That was the text of the tweet. But when yeah. you look at it, it is a Tesla in a tunnel. So I'm pretty sure that was uh, the old um, Elon Musk way of uh, dealing with the story with a little bit of humor and uh, maybe just a little bit of recognition like, yes, it's done. Um, so what were your thoughts on um, the Hyperloop being dismantled and You know, kind of another one bites the dust when it comes to Hyperloop technology.
0: Uh, You know, I would say that Elon Musk seems like he is a very busy man right now. Quite. Uh, He sent, I just read this morning, he sent his first email to Twitter staff at um, 2.30 a.m. last night saying that he was no longer permitting remote work and that his employees needed to report to the office the next day for, quote, arduous work. Mm. (laughs) And I've been thinking about this a lot lately. And I'm wondering if Elon Musk's um, very highly publicized overpay for Twitter and then subsequent, subsequent struggles with planning and executing changes are giving investors in any of his other businesses pause. And I'm not saying that he's incompetent by any means, just that his business acumen may not apply to running a social media company.
1: Or at least be thin, you know, running a little thin.
0: Well, yeah, I'm going to get to that. I mean, like, so I, I don't think he has experience um, running a company like Twitter, and yet he's doing it anyway, perhaps to prove a point. Meanwhile, he's CEO of like six companies simultaneously. Does that reflect poorly on him? And could it impact projects like the Boring Company that are a bit more visionary and fragile? Um, I don't have the same concerns for SpaceX and Tesla. But I do for Boring, since the concept is really revolutionary. It's very cost intensive. It's infrastructure. It requires a lot of cash. It requires a lot of buy-in. It's privately held, and he needs to find funding for it. Um, Boring's investors need to trust Elon Musk, Mm -hmm. and I personally believe that he should step back from some of the other stuff he's doing right now if he wants this kind of stuff to succeed. Because (sighs) I don't know. I think like stories like this one about Boring's uh, test track being converted into a parking lot kind of draw attention to just how tenuous this project is and I wonder if those combined could spell disaster for hyperloop just from a a funding perspective because it's a really big swing to begin with so mm-hmm. you you have to have everything work out right and it's not working for other companies and so I just think like for him to continue to uh, belabor the point that this is a reality that's going to occur, and and he's invested in it, and all these people are invested in it. I am not getting a good feeling, and I don't think Elon Musk is helping that.
1: No, I agree. Like uh, we we talk about it quite a bit when uh, we're not exactly. Hoping for a straw that break, breaks the camel's back, right? Of course, but I mean, uh, he's got a lot going on in very different directions. Jeff, what were your thoughts on uh, Boring Company and this Hyperloop test track becoming a parking lot?
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting, and I agree with you. I mean, he is stretched way too thin, there's these are such big. Big swings, mm-hmm. all of them. Okay, but I do think there is a lot of promise with the boring company in and of itself. Now, regardless of where this hyperloop thing goes, where you're talking about transporting people at thousands of miles per hour, um, yeah, yeah, well, that's Did obviously it definitely. Yeah, it definitely looks like they're drawing back from that. But that could also be a positive because if they're focusing on more of just the core elements of what the Boring Company does, which is going underground to find out more efficient ways of getting people from point A to point B and reducing traffic Helping logistically in terms of a lot of things they've talked about from freight corridors potentially going underground, even pedestrian walkways or other things like this. I think there is a lot of promise and a lot of potential here. I think there's a lot of benefit from it in terms of potentially uh, reducing emissions from vehicles. Even when you look at the production process or the, I don't know if it's production, but the actual boring or drilling process where they take a lot of the displaced dirt and actually use that in place of concrete to reinforce the tunnel. So there's there's just a ton of things that this could be leading to. So even if they're taking a step back from Hyperloop, I think that is a positive thing because hopefully they do focus on some of these other areas where, yes, it takes a tremendous amount of planning, municipality buy-in, cost, investment. I get all that, but it has worked in Vegas. It's delivered exactly what they wanted it to do there in terms of reducing the amount of traffic, reducing the amount of time from point A to point B. Granted, it's a very focused area. You're Mm -hmm. looking at the Las Vegas Convention Center. But it worked. Yep. It's a proof of concept. And ideally, this, there is opportunities there. I could see it especially on the freight side. If you can figure out some sort of network where it comes off the boat, gets placed into one of these loops, and it's going more quickly and getting from point A to point B, mm-hmm. I think that is a benefit. Especially when we look at the fact that the railroad situation is a bit tenuous right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if we've got a better, more efficient way of getting product from point A to point B, let's keep going there. But again, to Anna's point, which I think is extremely warranted, Musk needs to be focused. And if he is going in all these different directions, that's going to detract from something that could have a real positive impact.
1: Yeah, it's a a good time to um, come up with different infrastructure uh, methods, particularly as the entire rail system looks to shut down. Um, So this project has been shelved indefinitely, but there have been some bright, bright spots. Eric Wright, who owns Precision Construction Services... Uh, is the man behind the team that built the tunnel. He says that it was a short-lived project, but it still remains the highlight of his career because after the success of this project, the test track anyways, it led to new jobs, building labs for the CDC and even launch facilities at Vandenberg. Um, Another thing that is kind of interesting about this is that he and the rest of the team found out about this via group text. Just, which, I mean, I guess a lot of times we talk about big things happening and not having proper communication so you don't know when it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Also, there's a just like a group text like, hey, your baby's gone. You know, like, mm-hmm. there are kind of better ways that you could maybe communicate that. But at least, at least he found out. Um, and so... Jeff, as you like to say, this was Eric's thing that led to many other things.
2: Absolutely. No, that was a cool part of the story. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Seeing as how that, that did help them get to a lot of other contracts and a lot of other projects. You know, the other thing in kind of talking what Anna was saying, though, about Focus, the Boring Company did get, and we covered this, almost $700 million in funding mm-hmm. earlier this year. Yeah. So there are people that do still believe in this concept and, and a lot of this. You can just look at the Proofrock Drill. There's different applications for that as well, and that's what they actually use in terms of oh. creating the tunnel okay, so, that huge drill, so yeah, lots of things that could lead to things <laughs> Our next most popular story u s takes down nationwide
1: catalytic converter theft ring <clears throat> last week, law enforcement partners from across the u s took down a national network of thieves, dealers, and processors for their roles in a catalytic converter theft ring which sold the parts to a metal refinery for tens of millions of dollars. Arrests, searches, and seizures took place in California, Oklahoma, Wyoming, Minnesota, New Jersey, New York, Nevada, North Carolina, and Virginia. 21 people in five states have been arrested and or charged. 32 search warrants were executed. Millions of dollars in assets were seized. Now, catalytic converters are the component on a vehicle's exhaust that reduces the toxic gas and pollutants from a vehicle's internal combustion engine into safe emissions. These converters use precious metals in their core, which are attractive to thieves. These metals are more valuable per ounce than gold, and their value has only been increasing in recent years. The stolen converters were sold to a DG Auto Parts with multiple locations in New Jersey where they were processed. The company knowingly purchased stolen catalytic converters and through a quote decanning process extracted the precious metal powders from the catalytic core. DG Auto sold the precious metal powders it processed to a metal refi- refinery for more than five hundred and forty five million dollars. And that figure in particular is what stuck out or stood out to me because we've seen a lot of the catalytic converter theft problems throughout our communities. And I always just wondered like, why, why? And then you see the real money behind this and everyone was getting paid millions,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, for this entire ring. And I, it starts to make, it starts to become a little bit clear, at least to me.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, I also read that, um, the people who were stealing them were getting like a thousand dollars a pop for each one. And it took them about a minute to get them out. Right. So you can see why that's appealing, I guess. Uh, although so dumb and disruptive. I mean, I know people personally who've had their catalytic converter stolen in this town. I mean, I'm sure you guys do too. Mm-hmm. It's just, there's lots of jobs out there, guys. Just get one. Um, what,
2: <laughs> but can they do it in a minute for a grand now with a, these, a these sawzall ballsy too, man. Like, I saw one video. They yeah. jacked up the side of the car to get the sawzall under there and cut it off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was in broad daylight. Yeah. yeah,
1: no, that was, we have a photo of a person uh, circulating our neighborhood right now. Broad daylight, just standing next to the car with uh, with the sawzall. It was uh, so very bold, very bold. Uh, Anna, go ahead. Sorry about the interruption there. Oh,
0: that's okay. I just, you know, I find it interesting about how this specific part, there's really almost no identification or or VIN number or stamp or anything on these um, catalytic converters. Uh, I wonder if there would be any impact to changing that. Um, It sounds like the people involved in this ring, um, they knew what they were doing. So yeah. I don't know that it makes a difference, although it certainly would make it easier to track them. I don't know if, again, I don't know if it's a deterrent on a black market scenario, but at least um, uh, you would know if you caught somebody with them where yeah. well, they came from, you and know. maybe and,
1: if they got caught, there would be some sort of damages, at least down the line, because you could know exactly whose it was.
0: Exactly. Um, I mean, unfortunately, that kind of puts the onus on the automakers and their component suppliers again. But that's not exactly unprecedented. There's tons of technology out there that's anti-theft for vehicles now. Putting a stamp with a serial number or something, um, you know, there's other ways to safeguard your catalytic converter. There's aftermarket parts. um, There's a catalytic converter security shield that's supposed to cover that, um, Mm -hmm. and it deters thieves or at least slows them down. Um. And uh, don't forget that catalytic converters don't exist on electric vehicles. So um, they serve no purpose, right? Yeah. Uh, So automakers in theory can say that they're addressing the problem just by producing more EVs. (laughs) Um, But uh, gas engine vehicle drivers will still have to keep an eye out for this. And especially actually hybrid vehicles because uh, apparently the components tend to be in much better condition Mm -hmm. um, on a a hybrid because they don't have to work as hard. So um, that makes hybrids a target specifically. That's why you see so many of these with Priuses. Um, So just, David, keep that in mind. Maybe get yourself a security shield. Well, that's
1: where I uh, (laughs) was questioning it. There are shields, cages... And even something that is essentially a bike cable that you put around it mm-hmm. uh, to lock it, I just but don't I think, understand. Well, where, but like
0: part of that though is just uh, again to slow people down, so they you know if they got to spend five seven minutes pulling yeah. something off the outside, then maybe it's not as appealing to target you specifically.
1: No, and I understand that um, because it's these are very costly to replace. It can cost up to thirty five hundred dollars, and that's if it's even available. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're talking about you know is this another thing that's on the automakers? Maybe, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I we've talked about it a lot where if an automaker kind of was working in conjunction with an insurance company that is likely covering a lot of these claims, maybe it starts to make a lot more sense to just make them a little less accessible. Because, Jeff, when we're looking at these methods for prevention, we're not talking rocket science here.
2: I don't know what you can do from a design perspective, though, because it's there to optimally do its job, which is mm-hmm. reducing all the bad stuff that comes out your tailpipe. Yeah. So I don't know what you could do from that perspective and hiding it other than putting more shielding around yeah, it. Yeah, that that's what I mean. It's I like mean you slap but, a shield on them. But to everybody's point, they're just cutting off the pipe. I mean they'll cut off the pipe as far back as they need to and run away with it. So it's it is a tough fix i don't know exactly what it is um you know there's some people that actually put their license plate number on the catalytic converter they started doing that to give it some element of identification interesting again i don't think these folks buying these stolen parts really care about that Mm -hmm. they're going to do whatever the other sort of wrinkle in this is some of these thieves are actually just taking the metal out of the catalytic converter converting it to a powder and selling that yeah because that's what that's where the value is. Right. It's just this weird dynamic. It's sort of a, a dog chasing its tail with the supply chain issue it creates because we wouldn't have a catalytic converter shortage if people weren't stealing them. <laughs> and the prices wouldn't be going up for yeah. all of these rare metals if people weren't stealing catalytic converters and we needed these metals to make more of them. So mm-hmm. it's just this weird dynamic. The one thing, too, that's, that's concerning is when you look at these metals, which is um, um, platinum, palladium, and is it rhodium? Is that how you say it? Yeah, I think that? it's rhodium. They're used in a lot of really important stuff as well. So if we're funneling more of these metals into catalytic converters, where they were already used for this particular vehicle, we're taking away from things like dental implants, surgical instruments, electrical connectors, mm-hmm. a lot of other lab instruments and surgical instruments as well. So that's where it's also concerning when you see all the different ways places we could be using these elements and instead they're going back into something that was basically already in place until a bunch of bad people got together and colluded to do this kind of stuff. And I understand that this is likely the equivalent
1: of whack-a-mole when it comes to preventing catalytic converter thefts going forward. But I think you could make a real example if you come down really hard on the people behind DG Auto, the processing refinery that was because if people don't have a place to go with a catalytic converter uh, and, you know, it was a professional operation with multiple locations. If you hit them hard and make an example out of them. Maybe that makes people think twice going forward, even if they don't have, you know, one of the other techniques they talked about for prevention is spray painting it orange so you can etch
2: the number. So I would go the other way. Kind of like, you know, when you're underage, I've heard sometimes people who are not 21, (laughs) they try to get into a bar with a fake ID. Mm. So Mm. what do the local police do? They, you know, maybe give a little kickback to the bouncers who turn into people trying to use the fake IDs. I think you may actually be more productive saying, hey, if somebody's coming at you with stolen stuff, let us know. Yeah. Because they're always going to find a place to go. Right. But potentially if they're going to someplace this size, I don't know, maybe working with those individuals, which, I mean, pick your poison, so to speak, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. That might be the approach I would take.
1: Yeah. But I I mean, but this one's already done. So, like... Shut yeah. them down and make an example, yeah. at least so it's out there. Um, last year, approximately 1,600 catalytic converters were stolen in California every month. Yeah. That is incredible. Whoa. Uh, so still quite the racket. Oh, right. Oh, By the way, yeah. do you
2: guys know the 10 most likely vehicles to have their catalytic converters stolen? Is it a Prius? Is that number one? Prius is on the top 10. Absolutely. Okay. What do you think number one is? What I car thought is, it was a Prius.
0: What, is David, <laughs> what does David have? It's, it's, it's got to it be
2: that. it a RAV? RAV is up there. RAV oh, is in... Or actually, Christ. no, it's not. I'm sorry. It's the CRV. I always get those uh, two mixed up. That's better. Yeah. Okay. But like no surprise, the Honda F-series, or excuse me, the Ford F-series, Honda Accord, um, Chevy Silverado, Honda CRV, Toyota Camry, Toyota Prius are on this list. Okay. This is according to Carfax.
0: Where are all these Honda Accords? Because... It's like the they're top. It's, oh, they're Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, and it's because it's the do most they still, stolen. Also, because it's also the most stolen. Like, yeah.
0: w- are do they still make them? Oh yeah, they do. Yeah. Oh, never mind.
1: Where are all these? <laughs> Where
0: Accords? are all these Honda Accords?
2: <laughs> like three
1: people in this office probably drive an
2: Accord. If you go to a Target parking lot, I bet you'll find twenty of them.
0: All right, I will do that. I'm going to go to Target <laughs> right now. See you guys later.
2: <laughs> all right, our
1: most popular story this week. Subaru won't invest in U.S. plants, blames McDonald's. Subaru wants to make EVs, but it will look for places outside of the U.S. because of the cost of labor. Subaru has one plant in Lafayette, Lafayette, Indiana. I want to say say Lafayette because of the recent election. I see that and I see Lafayette. It's a plant in Indiana. Uh, that performs all of the company's North American production. Lafayette. (laughs) The factory supports Subaru's legacy Outback, Impreza, and Ascent models. CEO Tomomi Nakamura recently told investors that complying with the requirements for the full federal EV tax credit of $7,500 for new vehicles, which includes making them in the United States, was too difficult. He said that part-time workers at the McDonald's restaurant near the plant were making $20 to $25 per hour, which competes with what temporary workers make at Subaru. Nakamura said that if Subaru were to build a plant there for EV production, it would be, quote, quite challenging to secure workers. Anna, do you believe Nakamura's excuse for not expanding in Indiana?
0: Um, I'm of the sincere position of why I say this. <laughs> uh it seemed like an odd uh, choice to make on an investor call um for a few reasons i mean obviously it feels like scapegoating um there's no reason also that you have to s- say you're going to staff this plant with temporary workers thirdly the plan in japan that they're saying that they're going to produce these evs and ultimately it's not even be done until 2027 mm-hmm. so that's you know applying today's market conditions to a five year out process I don't know if that's really legit but secondly um, I guess I was disappointed because I think he does a disservice to the idea that the manufacturing industry is trying to promote that manufacturing jobs are well paid skilled labor and these jobs should be considered better or at least more permanent with greater growth potential than say something in fast food um, in in doing this I think he puts his plant in competition with so many other industries saying that like you know they say saying the quiet part out loud like it's this characterization that i think many manufacturers don't appreciate like and i say this with full respect for any job that anyone has out there it's not about who deserves what it's a basic recruiting strategy i think um positioning these roles within your company as big opportunities with lots of potential not any old job that's just competing dollar for dollar with every other employer in your area that was disappointing to me now that I've gotten that out of the way, <laughs> I want to get back to this $7,500 EV tax credit. Um, we've discussed this before on the podcast and the challenges that manufacturers are going to face trying to submit to these requirements for U.S.-made materials, especially with the batteries. Uh, the point Subaru makes about workforce um, I believe will be a bit more temporary, but it's obviously relevant at this time. That said, a few other automakers, instead of saying to hell with it and committing to building overseas, are petitioning the government to be more flexible. And maybe Nakamura would be better served to join forces with the likes of Hyundai and several other automakers and industry stakeholders who are saying, look, if you want us to comply, we need some more clarity and above all, we need some flexibility. That's the route these other automakers are taking now. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously the result of that remains to be seen. But for him to just sort of throw in the towel immediately, yeah. I was like, OK, I mean, yeah. that's OK.
1: No, uh, it's a choice. And I definitely understand the allure of finding cheaper labor. But like you said, it just seems really short sighted to mm-hmm. me. Um Jeff, do you think maybe there's something else going on behind the scenes here and he just was looking for an easy target, although a poorly selected one, uh,
2: to make, create a scapegoat? I don't. I think it's a, it's real simple. If you run the numbers, you know, it's going to be more cost effective to make something in Japan as opposed yeah. to here. Just do that. Yeah. Just say that. It makes you sound, and Anna nailed it. I mean, with a lot of the things that she said there, this makes you and your company look really I don't know, just like you said, just like giving up or or uncreative or just lacking in a lot of ways. If you ask the average person, it's 10 people, which company do you think has the potential to offer more innovative options to give you a more challenging work environment to help you be part of a team or growing this, this new product? Do you want to go to McDonald's and try to find those things or Subaru or any automotive manufacturer? Mm-hmm. I would say the vast majority are going to gravitate towards the automotive manufacturer. And that's where there's this huge disconnect that seems to permeate, not just in the automotive sector, but throughout manufacturing. You can complain all you want about the new workforce and what their focus is and everything else. And that's fine. If oh. you feel there the younger generations are soft and they're looking for all these different things and why do we have to worry about this? Feel that way. Mm-hmm. You're going to lose out. Mm -hmm. This is a change. This is the way things are evolving. So if you want to bring in quality workers, it's no longer solely about pay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're going to have to compete on a different level than you have in the past, but that is not the sole motivation. And if you're losing out to McDonald's, it's not because they were paying more. Mm -hmm. It's because you did not express the different opportunities available within your company to them. So it's really sad To to Anna's point, to hear him make this type of thing, it it kind of feels like it must have just been frustrating. Mm -hmm. He must have just been thinking, well, I'd rather do this because this is getting us closer to the biggest market out there. This is something all of our competitors are doing. We know if we're going to succeed in the EV business, we have to hit the U.S. market. Now, I think he just got frustrated. The other thing I'll bring up is the more the automakers complain about these tax credits – I think they're creating a reason for the consumer to also turn away from electric vehicles. If, to to Anna's point again, if if people, if the automakers basically said, we need more flexibility, you need to work with us here, we need to extend this deadline, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. I agree with all of that. Help them out. Don't make it so complicated. But the more you make that a sort of point of frustration, a point of no, screw it, we're not going to go there. That is just giving – that's just putting another bullet in the gun of everybody who doesn't want to buy an EV right now just because they don't want to buy one. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Why why do that? No, Why why feed them like
1: that? Agreed. It's just another sort of negative negative item in the news cycle where it's like, okay, even the automakers are unhappy with this tax credit. Why should I even consider EVs?
2: Yeah, and I think the quieter they are about it, at some point, EVs are just going to become part of what you do. Like, mm. that's just going to be the vehicle you buy. All the automakers are going that way. You're not going to have a ton of options. Mm-hmm. So if we let this play out a little bit, fight in the background, and keep the consumer positive about the products you're putting out there, regardless of the, the tax break or anything else, I think that's going to provide better long-term results than getting frustrated on an investor call like this.
1: Well, and I mean, I get it. You would just hope that the CEO would have a little bit more nuanced feedback then i mean you we could walk into any business within five miles of this company and just be like oh trouble with labor huh and they're like oh yeah well when mcdonald's pays or it's like either mcdonald's or the gas station you know (laughs) we can't find servers right now well when you're paying this over at mcdonald's you just wish that the head of you know a multinational automaker could jazz it up a little bit all right well before we move on to in case you missed it We have another word from our sponsor. If you aren't creating video content for your business, you're missing out. Why is video so important? Increase conversions, increase email marketing click-through rates, improve SEO, build trust, help explain complex subjects and equipment, and improve social media engagement. How many of you view video content on a daily basis? Isn't it time people start viewing some of yours? Promote your brand with Unit 202. Let's get to work. And we're back with In Case You Missed It, the stories that maybe weren't as popular uh, on our websites, but still stand to make a big impact on the industry going forward. Uh, and actually, before we started with this, you had a really good point about uh, whether or not you think he even looked it up. Do you think he looked it up or do you think he just kind of threw it out there? $25
0: for uh, like temp workers at McDonald's, part-time people that seems high um, for a town. That's not a major metropolitan area. And that would even seem high to me in, you know, mm-hmm. Chicago, but I don't know.
1: It makes me think uh, how out of touch he might be. This, it, it almost kind of like uh, rings like one of those, uh, when you ask a wealthy person, how much a gallon of milk costs, mm-hmm. they're like, it must be $25. <laughs> um, all Um. right. Uh, Jesse, who is watching us live said sponsored by unit two Oh two. Heck yes. Heck yes. I mean, I mean, it's, it's their motto. It's always great when the sponsor has a fan, Jesse, we're here too. All right. Anna, what is your, in case you
0: missed it this week? (laughs) All right. This is going to sound weird guys, but I chose a story about mylar balloons, (laughs) but here's why. It was actually quite interesting. Um, So PG&E, Pacific Gas and Electric Company, which you may remember from all the fires, um, has expressed support for a new metallic balloon law that will enhance the safety of its employees, customers and hometowns. Governor Gavin Newsom has signed an assembly bill which allows mylar and metallic balloons to be sold in California only if those balloons do not cause electrical faults when making contact with overhead distribution lines. This is something I knew nothing about until I read this article, but apparently these, uh, mylar balloons conduct electricity and can pose significant threats to public safety. If released into the air, they can hit power lines. They can disrupt electrical service. They can start fires. Um, so specifically the new law requires that the balloons that are sold in California after 2027 meet, um, standards that say that they aren't going to start a fire basically. Yeah. Um, I have to say that I fully agree with these types of common sense laws. (laughs) To me, this is just as impactful as removing a product from the market that has immediate danger to it, like a hazard or something that hurts the user, which is something that we do all the time via recalls. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't think it's government overreach. I really don't. Um, This is an issue that, like I said, I had had literally never heard of until I read this article. Um, I thought I'd bring this story up for those of you not living in California who may want to be more mindful of your balloon use. (laughs) I mean, there's already many great reasons not to let balloons go like relating to wildlife, of course. Um, But this is another one. And I just, I truly had never even heard of this. Um, And and PG and E says that mylar balloon related incidents are increasing. Mm. Um, They blamed a balloon for a 75 acre wildfire uh, just a few years back. And then um, they added that in 2021, metallic balloons that drifted into their power lines caused more than 600 outages. So keep your balloons on lock, please. Do not let them go in these ceremonial stunts. Um, all they do is damage <laughs> and, <Yeah>. upset
2: <laughs> and upset children, and upset children. Yes, yeah.
0: don't let your kids walk outside with the mylar balloon. Keep them inside.
2: Yeah, I don't. I
1: don't mean to laugh, but uh, it's funny. Um, <laughs> the uh, one thing to your point is that you're right. We uh, when we see issues like this, normally there's a little bit swifter action. So I think 2027 uh like a 5 year buffer seemed a little long to me um it also presents a great opportunity for smart aleck kids to let go of regular latex balloons and be like what at least it's not a mylar balloon that's, you know i'm just i'm choking a seagull right now i'm not starting a wildfire is
0: this what you were like as a kid
1: man oh, 100% that's dark. definitely yeah. 100% what happened oh nothing i just well, a lot. just
2: you're that way yeah
1: yeah I was just made this way <laughs> mm. uh Jeff your
2: thoughts on uh, the crackdown on mylar balloons um I think anything PG e wants to do to help prevent any oh type God. of fires from taking Please. place is a good thing yeah mm-hmm. they've uh, they've had a bad run as yeah. far as that goes uh, with faulty equipment I think we also did a story maybe a year and a half two years ago uh, I think it was a European community that actually had their whole town shut down by one of these balloons mm. it shorted something on i think there there was a bigger issue with some of the outdated um equipment that, yeah. that, sure. that was in place but it did trace back to a mylar balloon so there is definitely some credence credibility to this i think a lot of stuff in this area of the country too where pg e operates you know everything you hear about um uh, forest fires and, and those types of things taking off like i said doesn't need any help so mm. whatever we can do to scale back on that Exactly. I've never been a fan of the Mylar balloon. No.
0: You, no. Do you not like the crinkling noise?
2: Because oh, no one does. Worst. It's you get, the worst. It's the worst. It starts for your looking bus. so sad. Yeah. Like it takes so long a day.
1: No, no, no. The Mylar balloons now, probably the ones that start fires, they last for weeks. Oof. Um, do you guys think this is at all a little bit of misdirection from PG&E as they consistently uh, have settlement after settlement over wildfires at, that are tied directly to, you know, aged and old, outdated equipment?
0: I mean, to what end though, if they can use it in a court of law to defend themselves, I doubt it. Um, In my opinion, and you know, Jeff basically just said this, they're having so many problems out there. We know that the risk of of wildfires is just getting worse and worse and worse with climate change. Anything that they can do to help with that. And this seems like a very small thing. Um, I I can see why they want to get, because they don't want to be blamed for it too. So it could just be, you know, defensive, yeah, not misdirection, but playing defense. Well,
1: and we could also talk about how excessive mylar balloons have become. I mean, it <sighs> used to be that it was your simple circle or oval, but now you get like a full, <laughs> like a full unicorn mylar balloon. Oh yeah, and I understand how that could cross multiple power lines and create quite a bit of trouble.
2: Yeah, I think at the end of the day, PG and E, their very basic being wants to sell electricity. Mm-hmm. Anything that gets in the way of them doing that, especially now, yeah, mm-hmm. get out of the way. Uh, and the Going rate right in McDonald's and uh, Lafayette is
1: 13 to $15 in McDonald's.
0: Okay. So I looked up that on Glassdoor also when I was mm-hmm. doing this story and I found that as well. And I was like, well, it's just, it's hard to validate that, right? But like, it seems like that would be a big jump, even if that's on the low end, right? Yeah.
2: But yeah. Jeff, what is your in case you missed it this week? Yeah. I picked out a uh, story with a headline when destitute small towns mean dangerous tap water. This one caught my eyes just for the headline. When we talk about water, it just seems like. One of the most basic mm. living elements that should be available, especially to anybody living in this country. And it's really shocking when you read through the article. And there are communities within this country that still have to boil water, have been doing so for a decade or more. Yeah. Um, brown water out of the tap. Not even sure if the tap is going to be reliable um, in terms of getting water. Again, just the, the basic Basic living element that, that everybody needs. And in going through the article is interesting. That a couple of different things here. The Safe Drinking Water Act was signed into law in 1974. It initially protected Americans, protected Americans against 22 different contaminants. That's up to 90 now. Mm. So we found a lot more stuff we need to keep out of the water so people don't get sick. And as you go through, there's a couple of different issues. First of all, um, federal agencies will come in and inspect the water tell these small towns what's going wrong, what they're doing wrong, find them, want them to get this fixed. Small towns either don't have the money to pay the fines, so it means absolutely nothing to them. Mm -hmm. They don't have the expertise to fix the problem or they cannot hire the right people because they're usually small towns Mm -hmm. in isolated areas. So getting somebody to actually commit to a full-time job and monitoring the drinking water in these areas is extremely difficult. Man. So it continues to be an ongoing issue to the point that right now we're looking at about 6% of some of these small communities are still dealing with re- health-related issues mm-hmm. related to drinking water. It blows my mind that in the richest country in the world, we have an issue with getting our citizens drinking water. It doesn't matter where you are. This should just be, this should be an overriding element that's just accessible to everyone who owns property or has a faucet tied to municipal water. Yeah, a basic human right. Yeah, it's just, it's really mind-blowing when you look through it. And to the government's credit, they are trying. Uh They are reaching out. They're not leveling these fines just to drive these towns into bankruptcy. They're trying to figure out a way to get them to address them and understand how important it is and that it's not going to go away. The town's response essentially is, we don't know what to do. We don't have the knowledge and expertise to fix this problem. So again, the government is trying to get involved through a lot of nonprofit agencies who are coming up with money to provide the resources to fix the problem, but it goes beyond that. It's a knowledge issue. It's mm-hmm. just getting those experts into some of these areas to fix the problem make sure these folks can drink water. There was a number of different communities that they talked about in the article where again, this is Louisiana. This is, this is Texas, Oklahoma. I mean, just all over the country. This isn't just a big issue in Flint, Michigan where they had to replace all the pipes, and it goes beyond just the pipes. It's yeah. treating the water coming out of the ground so people can drink it and consume it. It's um it's mind-blowing. And whenever we get into these situations where we just deal with like what you just aptly described as basic human rights mm-hmm. in this country and them going away, it just it seems like there's so many ways to solve these problems. We need to figure out a right way to get things mobilized and put to place, put in action so we can just get people drinking water. It's Mm -hmm. it's just crazy.
1: Yeah. Stories like this are just a disgusting failure to me because uh, I do think, you know, we need like very few things to live as a human and water is a really big one. So I understand that it is a big PR move when we see the pallets of bottled water coming in because they're donated or the breweries that are canning water and sending them in for these communities. You know, Maybe some of these, uh, maybe some of these entities that are looking for good PR could also maybe step in and help in terms of improving infrastructure or uh, actually making real change within these communities that can't drink their water. Um, I don't know, and I think that this one's pretty self-explanatory,
0: for sure. And you know, there's so many other, for lack of a better term, like downstream type problems that come with this outside of just people's health, but like, you know, the plastic that comes along with bottled water like nobody should be needing to do that i mean you know that like people in these communities kids are drinking soda and juice and stuff you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. teeth problems and health problems and stuff that all come with just um not having access to this clean water that is so important for so many reasons so that's awful yeah
2: and just to clarify these communities weren't hit by horrible natural disasters there Mm -hmm. was not a plant explosion there was not a chemical leak the infrastructure is just failing them Yeah. yeah
0: yeah
1: All right, my In Case You Missed It is another cheery one. Uh, staffing agency was ordered to pay damages for intimidation and retaliation. So based in Lyndhurst, New Jersey, the staffing agency Advantix Logistics provides labor to warehouses and distribution facilities. On Thursday, a court ordered the company to pay $65,000 in damages to an employee who is fired for raising pay concerns. The worker was fired in February of this year after he told his supervisor... Hey, I don't think I'm getting paid for all the hours I'm working. According to the Department of Labor's wage and hour division, Advantix continued to threaten the worker when he asked why even his final paycheck did not include all wages earned. And then the company attempted to prevent co-workers from cooperating with the investigation. According to the Department of Labor, the company's actions violated the Fair Labor Standards Act's anti-retaliation and uh, investigatory provisions. The court also ordered Advantix not to retaliate against or intimidate any current or former employees who complain about pay or speak with investigators. (laughs) There is so much ridiculous with this story. Um, uh, Talking about uh, setting a good example or you know, in a labor market where it is hard to find people, how do you fight somebody who you're not even paying correctly? (laughs) Especially if you're a staffing agency. A staffing agency. This is your job, man. I just, uh, and I mean, I can't imagine how it worked, that it escalated to this point where the guys or the person involved is just telling a supervisor, hey, I don't think I'm getting paid for all my hours. There are so many ways that this could have taken a a different turn and just, all right, let's get to the bottom of this. You know what? Maybe you're right. Maybe you're wrong. Um, This one just kind of blew my mind. Also that a court had to order a company to not retaliate or intimidate any current or former employees. And if you see that come across and you're working for Advantix right now, just like, Do you believe that they won't anymore because they've been told not to? Or based on their track record record, maybe you think you got to go somewhere else.
2: Yeah, who needs a staffing agency right now to find a job? I, I mean, that's the thing. I'm not bashing working with one, yeah. but you don't need them. Maybe at some point you did. That is not the case right now. I just read a stat. There's something like 1.99 jobs available for every unemployed individual right mm-hmm. now. So you got options. Yeah. Um, this is just so tone deaf. I mean, this is something out of a Sopranos episode or something. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. No, it's
1: uh also the fact that uh, they went after coworkers uh who are trying to cooperate with the investigation if i'm that coworker, i am out of there for sure <laughs> you know just like what was that you don't want me to all right this is my two weeks it's uh and i don't know if you had a chance to read this story but uh ezra it seemed at first like kind of a you know just a smaller story and i get it it's you know more of a regional story but I still can't believe that stuff like this is kind of going on every day.
0: Well, and it's dumb because so they had to pay $65,000 in damages. Uh, what do you think he was asking for? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Probably yeah. not that much money. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't know. I think a court should also order Advantix to change their name because I was like, where have I heard that before? And I looked it up, and it is the name of my dog's flea and tick medicine. Do you remember that? Anyone else use Advan- yeah. Yeah. Advantix? Yeah, that it does, does ring a bell. Yeah, yeah. Okay. so um, it just seems... Like I don't know, like a skeezy, slimy place to work. I don't know. Well, I mean, you. No one wants fleas or ticks. Yeah, so maybe I get these, that. But.
1: Maybe these are flea and tick specific warehouse and distribution facilities. Maybe they only they only distribute um, animal pharmaceuticals.
0: <laughs> I don't know.
1: <laughs> that like is that is Advantix the like weird oil that you put on the back? <laughs> the of oil
0: that? that is like yeah, where you are like I feel like I just like.
1: Yeah, you feel like you're, you and your animals are covered in poison.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: And then you, for whatever reason, always do it right before dinner.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, before we get out of here this week, let's go on with our final thoughts. Anna, what's your final thought this week?
0: Well, I would like to thank the person who decided to have daylight savings time the same week as election week, because mm. I don't know about you guys, but between my kids waking up super early all week and then... Um, watching uh steve kornacki run election figures for way too late into the night i am needing to play catch up mm-hmm. that is my final thought that i can't wait for the weekend so i can just sleep it off
1: right our final thought is if we seem a bit drag like we're dragging this week we are but blame daylight savings
0: not and us. the midterms
1: that's right um my final thought this week was i wanted to thank larry for reaching out uh, he had uh, a recipe with cowboy candy, apparently said that you're supposed to eat cowboy candy with a cracker and some cream cheese, and then he put that on top. And just thank you for bringing that into my life. Yeah, yeah Larry, that, that does like, sound well, like a good yeah, call, Larry. Yeah. Um, the other was that I went to the Cracker Barrel last night. What? And first, well, I had a gift card, and I was just, we didn't have anything going on. I'm like, let's go to the Cracker Barrel. <laughs> and the Cracker Barrel, their food continues to be on point. It is just like everything it's sitting at your grandma's and just mm-hmm. taking one scoop out of every casserole dish <laughs> and it was everything on the table was amazing but there were it was this there were staffing shortages there were only yeah. two uh waiters working and I just wanted to remind people to be pleasant or just try to be better people out there mm-hmm. I saw three different people leave screaming at the wait staff that was there because wow. everything was taking too long the people next to us sat down they didn't get waited on immediately so they left in a huff a person was flagging down another waiter screaming like oh I was I've been I've been waving at you to get my bill I've been wa- I've been sitting here waving for minutes <laughs> I just wanted to say stand up and go get him <laughs> just stand up but I mean he didn't seem like the standing type and then uh there was another table that just called for the uh, manager and you know we're all pretty spaced out, but it wasn't super busy. And I can just hear her screaming at the manager over the wait staff and the quality of the food. And I wanted to be like, my chicken cheese broccoli is on point. So you call your tongue right there, ma'am. But it's just, <laughs> everyone is stressed. There's a worker shortage. Yeah. If you go out, out out to eat, understand that that might be an oh issue. My God, and seriously! don't take it out on the waiters yeah, or the wait staff. It just, it drives me nuts. And so we just doubled down on kind of, I mean- I couldn't imagine she was then coming to our table and we had two kids that we were just barely keeping off tilt. And, uh, I'm just like, thank you so much for everything you do. I appreciate, I appreciate it. When you get a chance, please bring me the bill. Um, but no, it was just, so just try to, you know, be a little bit more patient with people. It'll go a long way in just making, you know, a better community. Just, uh, Jeff, I don't know what just happened there.
2: <laughs> A little bit of the casserole. Yeah. Oh, jeez. My goodness. I shouldn't have had the leftovers for lunch. They were delicious. Uh, what's your final thought this week? I will second you on Cracker Barrel food. Oh, I, man. I love the food at Cracker Barrel. My question is, why do people buy so much at the country store? You don't like um, the country store? I, I don't dislike it. Yeah. Mm. I just, like, I don't get it, kind of. Like, everything there is definitely marked up, like, 30 40 oh, percent
1: i i get it because everyone's coming out of there happy you know they got okay. the full belly and i mean they were filled with christmas okay. and uh so it was great because it was the first time uh the boys saw christmas stuff out and Aww. they're just like trees and there were so many uh snow globes and at that point uh carrie and i realized everything in here is breaking. yeah you gotta get out of there <laughs> yeah. you know des is trying to play with this carousel he's like i like it I'm, and I'm like oh it's amazing it is 500 get away from the carousel <laughs> like, yeah um but yeah so i don't i
2: never got that too or the rocking chairs well i mean and there's always people buying stuff oh, i mean yeah. it yeah. works i just was i never got that but you, you're own, not but, you know. not
0: into the hard candy
2: the novelty sized candy is
1: amazing <laughs> there was a malo cup the size of a pizza and i just looked at carrie and she <laughs>
2: said no. <laughs> like when the kids were small, like your boys are young yeah. and stuff. I mean, the toys and the books and stuff, it's very appealing because it is all actually very cool and, you know, feels like it's handmade or whatever. Mm-hmm. Probably not. But anyway, it gives a cool vibe. But then you look at them, but it costs and it, yeah. I yeah, know. no, but It was teaches on.
1: Yeah, it was a winter wonderland last night. It was just, it made it even better. It was yeah. like, how do you walk through this to go get seated and just be angry for a meal?
2: Yeah. Just calm down. That's a lot of energy. Go get some Meh. gas station food. <laughs> 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 Jeff a couple couple things uh, first of all thanks everybody who sent in their thoughts in terms of the new swag we need to get got mm-hmm. some different ideas there so that'll be forthcoming what
0: are the Ooh. ideas
2: well we talked about like a um, a can cozy some different t-shirts um, what were some of the cowboy other candy cowboy candy oh, branded branded yeah, yeah. cowboy candy yeah. that one's gonna be difficult um, to pull. Yeah. Yeah. yeah got yeah. different ideas got some feedback so we'll see where that goes um, also wanted to share a note from a listener. Um, this came from Jeff Abrams. He is an innovation director for the New Jersey MAPS, so yeah. the manufacturing ex- extension program down there. Um, he said his wife is a high school teacher, so his experiences with young people is limited. He's responding to an article or a story we covered about two weeks ago, um, or the polling question we covered about two weeks ago. He said, however, just think for a moment about the only time manufacturing is publicly identified. It's about OSHA fines, environmental disasters, graft, and corruption. The good news is only sent to internal news exchanges for other industry people. I occasionally participate in manufacturing day at my clients and there's always a portion of the young people who are amazed at how cool something was at each manufacturer. In some cases, it's welding, other circuit board assembly, et cetera. I think the problem is the educators and counselors picture success as a college degree and failure as a factory job. I thought that was extremely well said. Mm -hmm. Appreciate Jeff sending that in. It's something we've definitely discussed in internal conversations. And yeah, I think it does start with a lot of those individuals who have that direct line of communication with people in the high school level. I've got two daughters. One is graduating this year, three daughters, but one is graduating this year, another is a junior. So they're having these conversations and everything is skewed towards going to college Mm -hmm. as opposed to what do you want to do? There's lots of other options out there. And again, these manufacturing jobs are not, they don't have to be your second or fallback plan or whatever you want to say. They're a viable career option.
1: I will like. I'll say that is evolving, though, and I mean it's community by community, uh, but that is changing in terms of both community outreach from the manufacturers getting involved uh, at the high school and middle school level, yeah. bringing kids in. Um, I've seen it on an individual basis, but you're right. Like in terms of countrywide, it's still seen as. You know, uh, a second, a second class. um, I think especially in the larger
2: urban high schools, there's just a disconnect there, a lack of understanding of what manufacturing careers really offer and the promise and opportunities they do provide, especially when, again, we're not talking. We talk about this generation, what they want from their job to be involved in something, to be part of a team, to push something forward, be part of an innovative process manufacturing is the best place to find that yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. and uh actually
1: imts was a great place to see and actually trade shows are a great place to see people getting students uh exposed to the technology i know that you know megan zimba and mavens manufacturing brought like a busload of kids to imts to get exposed to it uh we need more of that and uh the point on manufacturing day is really well said too because a lot of manufacturers get involved in manufacturing day but don't tell anybody what they did um i know that we flirted with it for one week (laughs) Two people sent me good news in for one week. Uh, but if you ever do have good news, um, please send it in. We'd love to include it with the podcast um, just because there is a lot of good news out there. And uh, sometimes it warrants more than just a LinkedIn post. You know? Couldn't agree more. All right. Well.
2: Do you have one more thing? Do yep. you have a new polling question for this week? I know you didn't forget about it, David. No, I, I didn't. That's, that. why,
1: that's why I pointed at it because I was going to say,
2: well, that next. And then realized that didn't lend <laughs> itself well to the audio medium very well. Well, the first, the first story we did kind of got me thinking, I thought that'd be a great one to kind of expand, maybe produce a poll question around. We talked about those being the top 10 areas, communities um, for manufacturing. I'm curious when you guys look at where you're working, um, what would be some of the best selling points in getting a manufacturer to come to your town or where where you work? You know, it could be proximity to infrastructure, things like good roads. Airports, railroads, things like that. Um, Quality of workers, they're well trained. You know, there's a reputation there of hardworking and attendance and all that good stuff. Maybe it's lower operating costs in terms of a lot of e- land available, um, warehouses available. Maybe it's lower um, cost for employment. Uh, could be economic growth in the area. We talked about Austin. I think that's one of those areas in Texas that's going to see a lot of manufacturing growth. Or maybe it's just a manufacturing friendly environment. Uh, maybe the local government is really looking to bring more manufacturing in. So there's tax breaks and other incentives. But I'd be curious to hear from you guys in terms of what you think is maybe some of the best selling points for where you work and why manufacturers might want to be there. So look for that one.
1: No, that's, uh, I was wondering how you were going to fit tax incentives in there. In manufacturing friendly environments, a good one. all right well now not that i was about to start this before the poll question uh but before we get out of here please make sure to like share and subscribe to the podcast you'd also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use finally if you want to email the podcast or hacks for cowboy candy and their recipes i will (laughs) love that you can send those to jeff david or anna at in.com with email the podcast in the subject line You can also subscribe to our daily and weekly newsletters. Make sure you get delivered. Uh, Make sure you get the podcast delivered to your inbox first. For Jeff Ranke and Anna Wells, I'm David Manti. This is the Today in Manufacturing Podcast. We'll see you next week.
0: Thank you for listening to the Today in Manufacturing Podcast.